Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions with me, Brian Reiser. Today I have a guest like no other. Uh, Ashley and I share a common background. We both were the lead instructors at Sales Bootcamp, which is now Vendition out of the San Francisco Bay Area, a program that helps folks making a transition into tech or folks just getting started in tech learn the fundamentals of sales development. Ashley has gone on to build out her own practice and we have a really exciting conversation ahead for you. All right, welcome to Revenue Champions. Uh, Ashley, I'm actually pumped, excited, beyond thrilled uh, to talk with you today. Uh, I think the topic we're gonna cover is near and dear to both of us. Uh, we actually spent some time trying to solve this in, in the same company for a period of time. And um, yeah, just really, really excited to get into it around the continued, I guess, quote unquote, changing landscape of sales development, but really focusing on some of the uh, enablement and and the talent itself uh, and how companies are, are maybe making some changes, maybe not around uh, finding, onboarding, ramping, and getting reps successful uh, in this, this world that you and I both love so much. But uh, just to kick things off for the show today, for the listeners who may not know you, who is Ashley Early? Oh, you're going off, you're going fully metaphysical, like, who am I? Okay, fine. Make me define myself, put myself in a box. No, um, <laughs> sorry, I love questions like that. But uh, yeah, so my name is Ashley Early. I am a sales development and revenue cheerleader, champion, coach, consultant. Um, that's my official LinkedIn tagline or something like that. But basically what that means is I spend my days helping companies build more, more successful, healthy revenue streams. And I mean, healthy, not just in the sense of like, yay, we hit our numbers, but healthy in terms of the people that work there are thriving and they're doing their best work because they're thriving as human beings first not revenue driving it, not revenue driving engines first. So um, I do that for a lot of different things. I'm also the head of sales at the Duckville Group. So if your company has an insane AWS bill, we can probably help you take care of that by finding better ways to optimize your environment as well as potentially advising on uh, negotiating better contracts and stuff like that. So duckvillegroup.com. And last but not least, I have to plug my own podcast. Other Side of Sales has been around for almost, we're coming up on 100 episodes actually in the next couple months. Super exciting. Ooh. But we wow. are of an Other Side of Sales that I run with um, like several of my co-hosts. We're the uh, podcast focused on making uh, B2B sales culture truly inclusive so everyone can thrive. So every one of our episodes is an interview with an amazing sales pro who's doing some incredible things, but also we basically because we're focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, they all speak about their experiences as an underrepresented member of a group in our, mm. in our sales culture. So if you're feel like no one who sells looks like me or sounds like me or thinks like me, I guarantee we've had someone on the podcast um, who is at least who does overlap a little bit. And we're always looking for more awesome people doing incredible things to be featuring there. So that's other side of new episodes every other Thursday. And I, I love, I love that podcast, uh, and just the perspective you bring to, uh, sales development. And of course, uh, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize that you were working for a company around AWS, you know, Mike Duchin, my co-founder at inside sales bootcamp is at AWS, mm -hmm. the actual AWS and just rolled out a brand new program, um, uh, there, which is so funny. There's so much crossover here. So in any case, um, let's get into the, 
let's get into the topic here. Uh, 10, 15 years. I, you know, I've been at this, this game. It's crazy. I'm coming on 15 years. 15 yep. years ago, I stumbled out of school, didn't know what the heck I was going to do. Um, you know, I had my math degree thinking I was going to be a teacher. And somehow I stumbled into this amazing world of lead generation, sales development, whatever you want to call it back then was a lead generation specialist. Um, and it seems to me that the formula for finding, hiring, ramping, getting someone up to speed, and then watching it all crash and burn and rinse and repeat all over again hasn't yeah. changed. Every single year we talk about we talk about the changing landscape, we get excited about the new technology, the emergence of data, the ability to deliver better experiences for our prospects. Um, there's more training, more books, more resources, more boot camps, right? More podcasts, uh, more websites, more, oh my. More, more, more. Yet, yeah. when we look at the benchmarks of success for sales development, it seems to me, and I've been tracking this for quite some time, I, I love the Bridge Group's SDR benchmark report year yeah, over year yeah, over year. Yeah, I must read every, every, everything Bridge Group comes out, I'm, I'm, I'm devouring within 48 hours. It's must read. They do an incredible job of dissecting what's going on, but it doesn't seem like much changes. And I'm curious to talk with you today about why that might be the case. And, and specifically, I think it starts with people, right? People process technology, people, people first. Yeah. Um, we find them. We, we buy the tools, we try to train them, I guess, we enable them, but yet not much is changing. So just curious to hear your thoughts. And, and, and again, I think maybe taking another step back because we both worked at, I, I sold my curriculum to sales bootcamp, then became addition. You came on, we, we had a crossover for a period of time. Mm -hmm. we, were the, we were the lead instructors of a company that was literally hyper-focused on, on solving this, this pro trying to solve this problem. And just a little, little, little perspective from your side. Like, where, what did you see? What are you seeing? Why are we still struggling here? It, I think it comes from, a, from a, some honest human fallacies and some incredible and, and some deep rooted. And I hesitate to use this word because I don't want to equate with other things going on in the world, but some deeper prejudices against people mm. who are new to sales. And this shows up in a lot of different ways. But it, the number one reason why I think nothing's changing is because we have a system that is established that works enough of the time. Um, and I'm, when I say enough of the time, I mean like maybe 20 to 30% of the time you can go into a company and say, okay, I'm going to buy a list or subscribe to Zoom Info I'm going to make a hundred dollars a day. That'll give me five conversations. That'll give me one meeting. And maybe, maybe 20, 30% of the time that'll work. But there are so many variables on top of that that can make that methodology impossible that it fails far more often than it succeeds. And yet we're still perpetuating the same methodology again and again and again and again. And the most common places where that fails um, it, I see more often than not is when the messaging isn't solid or the messaging mm. cannot be made solid. And messaging is not something you can like flip a switch and make it solid. It's a constant testing process, which no one, which it is rare to find leadership that understands that messaging is something that is dynamic 
and has to be constantly tested and constantly changing. And we're talking, I'm talking startup level stuff here more often than not. If you've got a well-established company with brand recognition, whole different story. But the vast majority of the companies that I'm dealing with are not brand names. They're not known. When they call someone, they have no clue what that company does. Are you an RFP system? Are you a CRM? Are you trying to sell me an alarm system for my office? There's no idea. So... And that's the other big thing is we're not, God, I could just rant about this forever because I've got Please like do. 10 different things that are wrong. But what is really, <laughs> the, I think there's a couple different things is the, the most dangerous thing we've got is this idea that it worked before, therefore it'll work again. And this is dangerous on a lot of different levels, but the biggest reason it's dangerous is there are people who build their careers and businesses around, I take this playbook, I bring it into your business and I will make it work for you. And I just think that's snake oil, that that's not a thing that can work. You, everything has to be adapted to the personalities that are in there, to the product that's in place, to the funding that's in place. And honestly, I think some of the biggest perpetrate, perpetrators of these broken systems are, uh, maybe not the most popular opinion, are VCs. I, mm. there are so, I, I see so many consistent issues with VC-backed companies where the VCs come in and say, we want you to run, like literally I, I've worked at companies where I came in on day one and they, they dropped a copy of predictable revenue on my desk and said, this is what we're running. Mm -hmm. Great. No, we're running it exactly. I can't change anything of it. Those are the benchmarks you're going to. Do you realize that book is almost 20 years old? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of really great stuff in there, but everything has to be put into context. And there just aren't a lot of people taking the time to do that. And there isn't a lot of tolerance for that level of analysis. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes someone with the creativity and the flexibility of thought to look at, is this really the best way for us to be doing this? Or are we just doing it because it's familiar? And that applies to literally every single step of the SDR process from how you're sourcing people to how you're onboarding, how you're training, how they behave on the phones, go from there to there to there, you know, every single variable needs to be neat. Every single variable needs to be tested, needs to be validated at least yearly, if not every six months. And yes, you can do this with a really small SDR team. You can do this with a, as a lone SDR, you just have to be conscious of it and have someone who is outside to check your math basically. So it's, it, it's really frustrating to me that we've seen, for example, um, and you and I are both super passionate about this as well. I find it interesting. We both got this kind of background in education. Um, I did not intend to be a math teacher, but I um, came out of school with the intent of being a, a speech pathologist. And then the economy crashed and I realized speech pathologists don't make that much money and I liked having money. Um, but in the meantime, I worked my way through college teaching SAT prep. And the woman who I worked with actually was has a doctorate in building curriculum. So I got to see her building curriculums on the fly and how to deliver great stuff, which was an, one of the most, I didn't realize it at the time, but one of the most helpful skills that I learned um, to apply to my sales career and apply to my leadership career. But we're still falling into the same bad habits of we need to be in an office. We need to have a college degree. We want people who are well-spoken and can write with perfect grammar. And we don't have the social system set up to generate millions of people like that. So if you're requiring college degree, straight up, your candidates are going to skew male and they're going to skew white. 
period. And that does, that means inherently you are not necessarily getting the best talent out there because the best talent out there is going to look like the world that we live in. It's going to be diverse. We're going to see people from high income, low income, every skin color, every neurologic position, every personality type. Oh my gosh, this idea that only type A's can work in sales. Do not get me started. The best salespeople I know are like generally, if I think of like the top five salespeople I know that I respect. <clears throat> Three of the five are introverts um, and incredibly detailed mathematics, like opposite personality to me. And it's their strength. They're freaking brilliant. And I've worked at companies where I would have had to fight tooth and nail to hire them because they didn't impress in the interviews mm-hmm. because they weren't effusive enough. Like it, there's so much to do and there are people that get elements of it right. But I honestly don't know of a company that's getting every step of this right yet. And that's why we keep, honestly, in a weird way, it's great for me because it means I am perpetually pretty busy from a consulting standpoint because there's always something to jump in and fix. But um, I was talking with another uh, Vendition uh, connection. We've got uh, Brian Smith actually this weekend. He works in sales over there now and or partnerships. He works with companies who are looking to hire apprentices. And he and I were talking about the importance of chasing problems this problem of figuring out how to get the best talent into the right companies and enable them properly is something that I'm probably going to end up devoting my life to. I don't know what the answer is, but I know what all the problems are. So I'm starting there and just trying to have honest conversations about how do we actually fix this? So end of rant one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want want to, I want to unpack a few of those things because, you know, while, while some of the, high level, I guess, tactics or overarching strategies that have been around for quite some time uh, may be antiquated. They may be not working for everybody out the gate. There is a, there's a framework uh, in which, which, and you, you touched on a lot of these things are, are fairly straightforward in terms of the box we're trying to solve for. Right. So, you know, it is still to this day an age old. It's really a marketing equation that we're trying to solve for, which is our target message channel timing. And, and you hit on a few of these things, right? Are we targeting the right people? Well, there's more data than ever before. We talk about, you know, our pillars of outbound here with Cognizant is this, this idea of we can get into truly hyper targeting now. Right. And, and yeah. if you know, if you know who, if you know who you serve, uh, it's easier than ever to actually find those folks, um, not just them, but to your point of chasing problems, et cetera, like what they may be focused on and where they might be struggling today, that, that that's available to us. Message, um, to your point again, uh, there's lots of playbooks out there, of course, but you can't just take a cookie cutter thing, insert it and go. You've, you've, you have to be able to adjust your messaging. And that's an on, like you said, ongoing continuous piece uh, that leadership tends to not want to touch. They don't want to touch either of those two things. And those are the most important pieces that go into yes. early success, but long-term repeatable success. Are we targeting the right people? Are we saying the right things? Are we targeting the right people? Are we saying the right things? And what are we learning from these? And how are we making adjustments? Yet no one wants to take ownership of that. Then of course you go to the channel and timing and that's that's kind of this long-term, uh, long-term follow-up strategy that that's necessary with support from demand gen mm-hmm. and the channel component, you know, uh, believe it or not, we do have more channels than ever to engage, but there's still, 
a core set of skills necessary to engage in those channels that are not developed. And so there's a yeah. lot going on there. Predictable Revenue, I think, has done a good job of, of setting that framework. Um, when uh, when the book came out, uh, I don't know if it's been 20 years. I think it's been 10 years. but uh, It's been the, at least uh, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, the, the, idea, the idea behind it, though, is, is assembly line. And I think what's, what's challenging there is that we want to specialize and find these people and give them the stepping stone, but we forgot about our clients, our customers, yes. the prospect on the other end, and that's missing. So we take the list, we spam the list, and then we fire half our people because of the VCs. So there's a lot going on there. I want to unpack some of that. Let's let's get into let's get into the list message stuff though, because I think that's you know hyper targeting, meaningful mm-hmm. conversations. These are two pillars that we really hit hard on over here with Cognizant, and yet no one wants to solve it. And I, I don't know uh, in your practice or at some of the companies you're working on, uh, at least for me anyway the first thing I talk about is the list, right? The list is a strategy. No mm-hmm. one can surface a list. Companies with hundreds of SDRs, one SDR. Great. I need a list tomorrow. Let's look at where you're at. No yep. one. I'm talking, I'm talking maybe two out of a hundred can get me a list within 24 hours. Yet they're supposedly working these. And I'm just curious what you see there and your opinions on how important those elements are. You know, one of the things I talk with a lot of my clients about is same thing. Yeah. No, list building is whoever can figure out, whoever can, can figure this out. And the problem is when I say figure this out, I think this is a problem that is not solvable without violating privacy. And I'm, I am a massive security and privacy advocate. And I believe very firmly in that. Um, I now live in Europe, so I live in the land of GDPR, um, I worked, I came up through security and identity and access management. So I, I'm a little bit neurotic about that. I'm, I'm the one person who like disables, like I don't have an Alexa in my home. I disable voice commands on my phone. I'm neurotic about this stuff. So you're never going to have a tool realistically that's going to be able to give you the list that you need immediately. That said, that does not mean it is impossible to do. You just have to be thoughtful around this and you have to understand it is a long <sighs> term problem. This is not something you can buy your way out of. This is not something that you can force people to deal with. You can't get water from a stone. It really is that sort of thing. So you can give someone a list and they can go and they can mine that list. But one of the things when I work with founders, especially people who are new or maybe don't come from sales, as I say, okay, if you give me a hundred names, 50% of those are not gonna be in the market right now. And there's nothing I can do about that. That's gonna be the case every day. If you give me a hundred names every day, 50 of those people are just not gonna be in the market. They're not gonna be interested. That just the timing is wrong for whatever reason. Okay? Chet, Chet, Chet Holmes like to say it's 60%. So we're, we're I think I think we're, yeah. you're close. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's there, there's something I use, I like to use big yeah. round numbers because I suck yeah. at math. So I can't do well, no. 60% in my head. <laughs> So 50%. It's, it's, it's never perfect, but I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. So you've got oh. 50% never going to work anyway. No matter what, it's not going to work. Then those remaining 50, you've got maybe 20 that are actively looking for your problem. Maybe. They know they've got a problem. They're looking for a solution, or at least they're open to hearing about a solution. Those are the ones you should be able to at least get a conversation with if you know anything about what you're doing. Those remaining 30 
are ones that have a problem but don't know it yet. And they may or may not be willing, and they're probably not inclined to listen to you. Those 30 are the difference between bad salespeople and good salespeople. Good salespeople can get maybe 20 of those. Poor salespeople don't get any. They look at that 100 list and they only see 80. They, they see 80 that they can't, the timing's wrong, they can't do anything with it. It's not, it's 50 they can't do anything with and 30 that need some cajoling. You have to get them with something that breaks through the noise. So that's how I, when people are talking about pulling lists and get the more specific you can get with the list in total. So you can give me a hundred people of a specific title that is standardized. This is assuming you have a nice standardized, a nice standardized persona you can go after. You know, you always want to talk to head of HR. That's a very easy standardized title. You know, you want companies between 500 and a thousand employees, and you know, you want companies that are based in the U S and then even going further, I would say companies that are based in the U S and are in mining. Great. Now you've got a really solid hundred person list. Okay. So 50 of those calls, we know nothing's going to happen because nothing was ever going to happen. The number's bad. The They're just not listening. They've moved jobs. God knows. You've got your 20. They're open. They're active. They're looking for a solution. And then you've got your 30. The more targeted your list, the more tailored the value prop can be. Um, I heard John Barrows and Morgan Ingram years ago give a really great talk. And I, I want to get this on a t-shirt or something. And personalization is important, but you have to remember, and this is the quote that I love that John said, you can't personalize at scale, but you can target. So what I work with a lot of my companies on is building out kind of micro campaigns for messaging. So it's like, okay, it looks like it's personalized, but it's not, I'm sending it to a hundred people, but it's a hundred people who have as many characteristics as similar as possible. So it looks like it's very tailored even though it's, it looks personalized, but it's not. Anyone who's in sales will be able to spot that it's tailored, not personalized. And personalized to me means only that one specific person is it, would it be applicable to. Tailored to me means 100 to 500 people. It would it apply to. And then generic is anything beyond that. Um, the more you can get into doing targeted, tailored messaging, the higher, the more of that 30 that don't know they've got a problem, but maybe you can convince them to listen, the more of those you'll be able to get. But that takes time. Like I said, I mean, I advise, I, I, I advise to have at least three of these kind of micro campaigns going at any given point. The better your systems are, you can have up to 10 or 15. Um, if you're obviously, if you've got a sales loft or an outreach or something like that, that can really help tracking these things. If you don't have a tool like that, I say two or three, because tracking it manually is a pain. You can do it, but it's a pain. So going through all that stuff, but that's kind of how I think about it. And the, the two tie together between the list quality and the messaging, because you can't test messaging on a list where you've got divergent titles, divergent industries, diver, divergent pain points. It, you're not going to learn anything. You have to think about it like an experiment where you have to think of this, the sample size has to be, has to be similar enough. It has to be a reasonable population to get meaningful results. So target message, the more targeted, the better that per, I think the the personalized was the one word yeah. I loved that, that might've came from Barrows personalization. Uh, 
which means you're not personalizing to the individual, you're tailoring to your audience. Uh, yet most organizations are throwing this right on the folks that are coming in, right? You yeah. just joined me. I, I have, uh, Figure it out. I, I have, um, zero experience, or maybe I've gone through a, a initial training and, uh, you bought me these tools. I have, I have the best, I have LinkedIn sales navigator. I have a data vendor. I have, I have sales off our outreach and I went through my two week onboarding. Now it's on me to go and mine or hunt or build down to this distilled perfect list of which, by the way, yeah, I like hearing your mouth checks out there. It's, it's still the same 30%. I like to use chat homeless numbers, but, uh, I actually say it's only 10% that are really, I, I use chat's numbers. So 3% buy now, 7% are open to it. 30% are not thinking about it. Same winning zone. And then 60%, you're never going to get there. Same winning zone. It's just, you're actually, you know, a little bit uh, split out there, but uh, a little less disqueued at the top and a little little more hyper ready to go. And But it's the same winning zone. 30% is, is where the money's made. And yet, most people don't, have business acumen coming out of school. They don't have experience. They don't understand. It doesn't matter what, what you sell unless you, unless it was, you know, for college kids, if they were coming out of college or if you're using the diverse background, something that consumers use regularly and B2B, it doesn't happen often. You've got to have some experience and it doesn't exist yet. And we're putting it on these. And so those two things are so important. So, no wonder success isn't happening, right? And and Absolutely. not to mention not to mention the math itself. When you check the math, the objectives that we have for success, that it, it doesn't doesn't compute, right? Everybody uses the same benchmark of let's say twenty. Oh, we want twenty meetings. So yeah, right. That Meeting a day. Or, or, That's or, not too or, hard. Or I want ten held, right? Same same concept. So it's like okay, well, we're going to assume that half the meetings you book don't show in the first place. Like that's a little weird too. It's just yeah. it's it's. It's really strange. It's really strange behavior because everybody seems to be thinking about the same playbook, yet the construction of it, again, in theory makes sense, but getting into practice, you're, you're honing in and figuring those things. Um, what are some of the things that, <clears throat> what are some of the things that you see that are working for organizations that maybe help? I don't know if you see any that are working, but have, have you come across anyone that where this is working, where they've created a system or a process to help newer reps get up to speed in, in these areas? Uh, yes. You know, what are you seeing on your side? Yeah. Um, it comes in a couple of different forms. One is one of the things that I now work when I'm, when I'm in a sales process for a consulting gig, one of the most frequent reasons I walk away from potential business um, is when I ask about the budget for education of uh, education and onboarding of SDRs. Um, the, for some reason, which cracks me up because SDRs are typically responsible for 60 to 90% of sourcing or putting things into the pipe. Um, but for some reason, the amount of time and money specifically they're willing to invest in enabling these people is directly tied to their compensation. Mm. So, oh, these are our lowest paid employees. Therefore, we're going to give the bare minimum in terms of enablement and investment. They rather spend money. It's, it's much easier to justify costs to finance and to leadership around AE training, manager training, 
um, stuff like that. Let's work on the closers than it is on the pipe job, on the, on the, on the, on the pipe generation. If that number is off, I'm not going to convince them. It's the same thing. Um, again, when the way I approach consulting, I always approach consulting on a project pricing basis, not on a per hour basis, because the moment you get into per hour, it, I find it just, it just makes the relationship toxic because it's about getting the results. It's not about how long it takes me to do them. I'm a professional and I'm not just a professional. I'm really good at what I do. Whether it takes me one hour or five is irrelevant to you. You get the result. So why would I hurt myself or overcharge you depending on my efficiency? So, but if it's kind of a similar thing, if they're the amount of money being paid to onboard properly, and I say properly, there's, uh, I'll talk about the definition of that in a second, is tied to their income. So their your SDR is making, you know, say you're doing a really good program, your SDRs are making between 90 and 100 KOTE, but you're only giving them two weeks and the manager is only allowed to spend an hour or two a day with them. And the manager does all the onboarding themselves on top of managing the team. And there's very little additional support. And you're not, and you're, the only thing you're wanting to do is to bring me in to tell you what's wrong. You're not going to listen to what I'm saying anyway. So no, I'm not going to take that job. Um, if you want me to come in and give you a plan and everything is on the table, great. Let's go talk about how to fix this stuff. Enablement. I've been very, very happy to see is starting to take off. Um, I have to plug uh, Roderick Jefferson's book, Sales Enablement. Um, I think it's 3.0. It's brilliant. Um, if I got, I can't remember if it's 3.0 or 2.0. That's really embarrassing. But it's, it is a brilliant book. He is a master of the sales enablement craft. And if you're remotely interested in sales enablement, please go read that. It's, it is doing for sales enablement what sales development playbook did for sales development. God bless Trish Bertuzzi. So Roderick Jefferson is absolutely amazing. Um, but that's a big, big thing. And it really comes down to, I love this idea that SDR managers are typically the most junior managers in the company and they're expected to manage the most junior people and train them. Hmm. Training itself is a very specific skill. Not every manager needs to be a great trainer. And yet most companies, when they hire SDR managers, expect these people with no training in how to be a trainer, with no training in curriculum development, to be able to onboard anyone they throw at them. You're setting up the managers to fail. You're setting up the SDRs to fail when you don't have proper support from a training and curriculum standpoint. Now, properly onboarded to me, I think has any good onboarding program has three components, classwork, shadowing, and independent work. Um, shadowing is the one that I think it's forgotten about the most or is done wrong. Shadowing should be you're sitting with someone who knows what they're doing and they just watch. They just soak it in. It's not about explaining everything. It's not about um, asking a ton of questions. That's for coursework. That's for independent work. Shadowing is just about sitting and trying to figure out why they're saying what they're saying and taking notes of different ways to do things. Um, someone told me early in my career, um, this is my favorite bad sales joke. Every company has research and development, R&D, to help build new products, take the company to the next level. Sales has R&D too. We rip off and duplicate as the highest form of flattery. If someone has a killer line on the phone and you hear it and you love it, use it. That is the highest form of flattery. It is not stealing. 
So when someone's onboarded, they should be shadowing four or five, as many different people on the team as possible that know what they're doing. They should never shadow someone who isn't fully ramped. So they can pull all the different best bits from every person, depending on what makes the most sense. And this is where diversity really matters again, because if you have blunt honesty, five frat boys dialing on the phones and you bring me in, I'm not gonna dial like a frat boy. I'm not one. It'll, it'll sound like a caricature, it'll be ridiculous. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Just kidding. I can not, as, as much as I, I adore corporate bro, like, oh my God, I love him so much. I have such a sales crush on corporate bro because it is the highest, it is satire in its most beautiful form. But that's the thing is I, it would sound like satire if I tried to sound like someone other than myself. And that's the whole point. So you need to also have a diverse team so people can pull something different from everyone. If you just hear five people who sound exactly the same. The other thing you got to remember too, when this comes to messaging, this comes to diversity, this comes to success, your clients are diverse. Exactly. If you don't have a diverse team that can get creative and approach the world with different perspectives, how are you going to expect to reach every client that is in different yeah. situations and has different perspectives? Yeah. I want a team and the best teams are the ones where if someone's struggling to get through to a client or to a prospect, they can go to the team and say, I'm super confused. Every time I talk to this person, they're just rude and I can't figure it out. And someone else on the team will go, oh, well, probably because I wonder if this is in play or I wonder if that is in play. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, the first time I encountered sexism in the workplace, it was on the phone. I could not figure out why this guy wasn't giving me the time of day. And I went to my colleagues and I was like, what is going on? And my colleagues like, he's probably a sexist a-hole. And I was <laughs> like, oh. So to test it, I went to, my, went to one of my colleagues, a peer, and I said, do me a favor, cold call this guy. If you can get a meeting with him, I'll split the commission with you said exactly the same thing I had. We had the recordings. It was literally the same thing, but he was like a different person. Yep. Which sucks, but that's the way of the world. My colleague refused to take any of the commission, which I appreciated, but it turned into the sort of thing where then a few weeks later, he's like, hey, I can't get through to this guy. He's just shutting me off. Can you call him and be nice? So I called and was kind of chatty and oh my gosh, thank you so much. Who cares? We get to the commission and whether or not that's the way the world should be is a different question for a different day. But that's the point. You have to be re ready to respond and meet any client where they are, unless they're being a relic from a bygone age and being sexist or racist, in which case overtly so in a negative way, in which case you don't do business with them or you go around them. So that's, that, that, that is that's the unfortunate, true. that is the unfortunate reality. There's been a lot of, uh, not to get too far off topic here, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole that's unnecessary but sometimes it's not being racist or sexist or whatever it's it's certainly it's just the personality type and yeah. the other thing is the other the other and, and personality types clash right just just like you said you're not going to get along with a, a team of frat boys that are you know playing beer pong and uh you know t taking um uh you know to be clear doing, i get along doing, doing, great doing... with to be clear, i get along great with them because i understand how their brains work i just can't no. do it all the time <laughs> right well that, that that's there's a yeah. there's, there's a different there's a different personality right uh uh in that in that example maybe it's a terrible example you'd get along with them but my point being maybe you didn't take their their approach uh the same ways you would take it and and that's yeah. the reality of the world like we as humans unfortunately cannot 
please everybody. And if you do try to please everybody as the person you are, then you're not authentic. And if you're not authentic, then then uh, you're not going to have the same level of success as you would just being you. And that's, that's why super you're important. Car salesman as a stereotype. Right. Exactly. And it's important that you are who you are, and that will speak to the folks that you need to speak with. And there's a there's there's a lot of uh, I, I did a post that that got pretty a lot of traction. Uh, I think it was just last week because so many people right now are like basically making the prospect evil. They're making they're making oh. it sound like they're making it sound like it's on the prospect to to give you as the rep the time of day and. Why would yeah, you, why you would you just, me? What's how wrong do you do, with you? How, how could you unsubscribe? How could you say this? How could it's, it's, it, it, there's the other side of this too, which is the other, you know, I love the others. There's the other side of this too. And to understand the job that's being done here, everything you're saying makes total sense. And sometimes it's about personality matching. Other times it's just, yes. there are crappy people in the world. You're not going to be able to make that match. And that's okay too, right? It's okay too. They may not be a great customer or client. Um, but we have to, we also have to remember within an organization, a company that many times there's a lot more people as well. Right. And so that diversity element not only works for maybe breaking through that individual, but also being able to, um, um, actually break in through the buying committee and, and finding others, right. And, and building, uh, building up the business case through through other routes into the organization, the team selling element is is huge there. But um, you know, I don't want to go too down that point. But the point being here was we have to put the buyer's perspective in place too. So sometimes they're not always. It's not the the super negative thing. It's just your approach isn't going to work for everybody. And having having that perspective, having the emotional intelligence, uh, the EQ, the the self awareness is important. Um, and of course, as you're, again, getting back to the newer rep that's ramping and training, you won't know these things until you get there. Right? No, uh, yeah, and it, we don't do enough time. Um, shameless plug. Um, I have a course on um, JB sales on demand um, on persona based selling. And mm-hmm. The core of that course is exercises and explanations of how to build up what I call your empathy muscle. So you can better understand and get into the brain of the person on the other side of the phone. Um, and it, it's specifically that it's literally, and this is something I think is missing from a ton, a ton of onboarding is, okay, here are our top personas. We're calling the CEO, the head of HR and the head of learning and development, right? Every SDR at that company should be able to tell you what a day in the life is like for each one of those three jobs. Where those people want to go in their careers next, and of course, we're generalizing a bit, but you should be able to have a basic idea of what these people's days look like. Are they like the CEO is probably in meetings seven or eight hours a day. They probably do another hour or two of email in the evening. And maybe they're a healthy CEO and they don't do that. Who cares? The point is, if you understand that they're in meetings seven, eight hours a day, even that 10 seconds to respond to your email is an ask. That's a big ask. And when you put in the fact that they have probably 50 different emails, that they need to respond to, then it's 50 times 10 seconds. Because if you reply to one, you kind of feel like you have to reply to all of them. It's a whole thing. But if you can't get into their brain, at least a little bit, then you're really missing out on all that. And a lot of companies aren't, they're only now just starting to understand 
that it's empathy that's the root of these relationships that have to get built. And that relationship building does take time. So unless it is a deeply transactional sale that can literally be a one call close, you need to build a relationship or your no-show rate is going to be less than 50%. It's going to be 10%. And then that just jacks yeah. off all your numbers. Newsflash, if it could be a one one call close, then it's a one click close. I, I joke about yes. this. I, I Gosh, joke about yes. this all the time with Ned Eric Merrick method. Ned, Ned and I uh, joke about the whole cold sign show up, but that's the reality. Like if, if you are a person who believes in a one call close, then it's already a one click close and you shouldn't be in a job anyway. You, you, you have to have these skills getting into the avatar stuff a little bit too, though. Uh, you know, you have to understand that there are again, general, general traits and behaviors and day in the life subs and jobs to be done. So all those things that can be important, well, very, you have to understand these things, but you also have to also understand that there's multiple personalities within those avatars, right? So yeah. I, I could be, you know, I could be a CEO of, um, let's go back to your example before of a, let's say a 200 person, uh, organization, uh, that, that you're trying to sell into your, um, your HR, uh, tech solution, right? I could be a CEO of that company. Two different companies look the same very different personalities, right? Completely. Very, very different channels to be reached. You know, one might prefer- How we got there are using very different methods. One may be, one may have come from an engineering standpoint, one may have come from a marketing standpoint or a business school background, mm -hmm. completely different things. But we know they both have a reasonable level of education. We know they both have a reasonable level of economic standing. We know- that they have a reasonable amount of demand on their time. You know, yep. there are certain things that are common, even though the nuances of, you know, ballpark their age, you know, for a lot of these things, you can ballpark this, you know, based off their age, you know, statistically, they're probably more likely or less likely to have kids and a family and be balancing these other things. You can get a lot of, it, it feels like you're making assumptions and you are, but That's the right. thing you have to understand is this is all about getting that in that using those commonalities to kind of jumpstart the relationship. And then when presented with contrary information to the avatar, you throw the avatar away. You know, um, a really good example of this you have in your head, like the idea of, you know, a CEO at a you know a bigger company, probably in their 40s or 50s, probably has kids, realistically. You, on the, you jump on the phone with them and they mention they mention their partner has the kids has the kids this weekend or something like that. My partner partner's picking up the kids or whatever. Just something as subtle as on the next call asking about that specific nuance that is a little bit unusual makes oh. them feel seen, makes them feel heard, makes them feel safe. Yeah. You don't have a relationship and they will love you forever. A really great example of a subtle thing here. I spell my name slightly differently than 90% of other Ashleys. Yeah. I'm not a stickler for getting my name right, but it's in my freaking email. If you get my name wrong, I kind of don't like you as much because it makes me concerned about your attention to detail versus if someone mentions one of these nuanced things, hey, you know, how's the weather in the Netherlands? Have the tulips bloomed yet? Or something. Yeah. We didn't discuss that or I mentioned it very briefly. I, okay, we're paying attention. The attention to detail is there. Um, there's the, the legendary, probably apocryphal story about the Rolling Stones 
who have this legendary long, legendarily long writer. A writer is a, basically a list of rules you give to a venue when you're going to go perform yeah. there. And one of the requirements in the writer buried in there was to have a roll, uh, have a bowl of brown M&Ms in their dressing room. Just brown, no other colors. So someone would have to go through and grab four or five bags of M&Ms and pick out just the brown ones and put the brown ones in the bowl. The reason why that was in there was so the Stones could walk into a venue, see the brown bowl of M&Ms, and know they actually read the freaking writer. And that's right. not just like, oh, rock stars are being ridiculous. It's a safety thing. There are pyrotechnics, there's electronics, there's expensive equipment. You have to know the stuff's taken care of. And sales processes are exactly the same. So starting with this little bit of preparation, these kind of general consistencies, pay attention, throw away the avatar once it becomes a real full-fledged human being, and then call back to those unique details. That's how you end up with, I mean, I, I'm still in touch with people. I cold called my first year as an SDR and we like ping each yeah. other every six, six to 12 months. Just like, how's the family? What's going on here? I, I know their kids' names. I know their secretary's names. I've sent a few people, you know, I've gotten gifts for them. They've gotten gifts for me. Stuff pops up. Um, and you go from there. But this is all also, people think, oh, that that's very, that only works if you've got a really expensive product. And yeah, most of those were developed on million dollar deals. That said, the same relationship building goes into play even if you're selling 10K because the amount of time it takes at most companies to close 10K versus 100K is terrifyingly similar in terms of sales effort. And that's the thing a lot of companies I also think don't understand. But that's a bigger business issue you have to figure out. Well, that's why the, the age old uh, number one way to improve sales is raise your prices. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, that'll solve a lot of problems for you. Uh, we've got only a few minutes left. Ashley, I think you know when you and I get talking, we, we went down a couple of rabbit holes a little bit here. We could talk for a long time about a lot of things. Um, Want to land the plane with uh, one of the most important questions that we have here in the Revenue Champions podcast, which is if uh, if you had an ex and you're in a leadership role now, so it's great. If you had a an extra fifty k. In this case, they say pounds because it's over overseas, and it's not it's not pounds in the Netherlands. No, I'm, I'm on euro, it's, but it's, I, I'm at I, the point I, where I actually have a ticker on my laptop that gives me pounds, euros, and dollars every day. I actually track the conversion rates now. I have turned into that person. Oh, perfect! So you can help me understand because I can never figure this out. Uh, if you had an extra fifty thousand pounds to mm -hmm. invest in your business development team, SDR team, uh, how would you spend it? Um, if I, depending on what I, where I am right now versus where I want to be. So I'll, I'll give you three answers. If I'm an early, if I'm, if it's a young team, I would invest in making sure you get some sort of call reporting software. Listen to your team, listen to the subtle reactions from your prospects to your messaging. That is the quickest way to accelerate your business. If you've got a reasonably mid-sized team, um, predictive analytics starting to figure out when you're, how to get the prospects to come to you and how to hit them at that right moment in their buyer's journey and trying to predict that a little bit better. If I've got a very well-established larger team, um, it's getting, um, I would uh, for 50K, I would get a fractional sales enablement person to do nothing but training and specifically nothing but the soft skills training that we need. So not sales specific, but let's talk about business acumen. Let's talk about empathy. Let's talk about listening. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about personal finance. Let's start teaching salespeople how to budget uh, for themselves. 
Holy cow. Mm. I wish someone had taught me about that. Um, you know, all the soft skills that we need to be successful in sales, but no one ever talked about because it's not the company's problem. It's the company's problem. People are leaving because they don't know how to budget their own finance. So they have to go take a higher paying job to get themselves out of debt. So that's those are the three things I would do. Mm. I like that. You gave some answers for the different phases and also circled that right back into some of the things we talked about today. So that was well done. You must have done this before. <laughs> uh, if folks want to reach out and connect with uh, Ashley early, uh, what's the easiest way to do that? Are you open to it? Yes, please. Always. Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, probably the easiest ways. So LinkedIn, just Ashley, you know, LinkedIn slash in slash Ashley early. You can check the spelling. I'm sure in the episode title uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Ashley at work spelled my way. That is a very deep cut Star Trek reference to anyone who's listening to that. You can also please do double check. Please do check out other side of sales on your podcast catcher of choice. Um, some really exciting stuff coming um, in the next few months there. And also check out other side of Make sure you subscribe. I promise we don't spam you, but you're def- we're going to be relaunching the blog soon. And we're going to start doing email alerts when new episodes go live with additional behind the scenes facts and stuff like that. Plus we have the sales census that should hopefully be released in early May. So very excited about that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ashley, and uh, enjoy the tulips out in the Netherlands. I will in a few weeks when they bloom.